0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi, welcome to this session. In this podcast, we will cover premenstrual syndrome and premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Premenstrual disorders consist of psychiatric or somatic symptoms that develop within the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle, affect the patient's normal daily functioning, and resolve shortly after menstruation. The luteal phase begins after ovulation and ends with the start of menstruation. The subspecialties of psychiatry and gynecology have developed overlapping but distinct diagnoses that qualify as a premenstrual disorder. The American Congress of OBGYN includes psychiatric and physical symptoms in describing premenstrual syndrome. The American Psychiatric Association focuses predominantly on psychiatric symptoms in its diagnostic criteria for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Now symptoms can occur anytime between menarche and menopause. The burden of disease can be high. Women with PMS have higher rates of work absences, higher medical expenses, and lower health-related quality of life. About 80% of women report at least one physical or psychiatric symptom during the luteal phase of their menstrual cycle. However, most do not report significant impairment in their daily life. In a study of over 2,800 French women, about 12% met the diagnostic criteria for PMS and 4% reported severe symptoms. The prevalence of PMS is not associated with age, educational achievement, or employment status. Symptom persistence and severity tend to fluctuate. One study found that only 36% of women who were diagnosed with PMS continued to meet the diagnostic criteria one year later. Women who gained weight or had a stressful event in the past year are more likely to be diagnosed with PMS. Lastly, although PMS is relatively common, fewer patients meet the more rigorous diagnostic criteria for PMDD with a prevalence of about 1.5 to 5%. Alright, next, let's talk about potential etiologies and diagnostic criteria for these conditions. There is a poor understanding of the etiology of premenstrual disorders. Several studies suggest that cyclic changes in estrogen and progesterone trigger the symptoms. Postmenopausal women who had previously been diagnosed with PMS had recurrent psychiatric and physical symptoms when they received cyclical progestogen therapy. Furthermore, the suppression of estrogen with gonadotropin-releasing hormone has been shown to significantly improve PMS symptoms changes in mood may be attributed to the effect of estrogen and progesterone on the serotonin GABA aminobutyric acid, and the dopamine systems. These can also alter the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, which could explain some of the bloating and the swelling that occur during the luteal phase. Sex hormone levels alone cannot fully explain premenstrual disorders, so that's a clinical pearl. Studies show that women diagnosed with premenstrual disorder do not have higher levels of estrogen or progesterone than the general population. Again, sex hormone levels alone cannot fully explain pms or pmdd lastly there's some conflicting evidence that fluctuations in serum levels of calcium and potentially magnesium could augment or intensify symptoms of pms we'll cover that a little bit later in the session all right next let's cover the diagnostic criteria for these two conditions Diagnosis and the timing of these symptoms are crucially related. Symptoms must occur during the luteal phase and resolve shortly after the onset of menstruation. Other conditions like depression or anxiety may worsen during the luteal phase, but these can be distinguished from PMS because they persist throughout the menstrual cycle. Migraines, anemia, endometriosis, and hypothyroidism may also produce symptoms similar to PMS or PMDD and they should also be considered and ruled out. Diagnostic lab testing or imaging should be directed at ruling out alternative medical diagnoses. ACOG has defined PMS as a condition in which woman experiences at least one affective symptom and one somatic symptom that can cause dysfunction in social, academic, or work performance. These symptoms must be cyclical, beginning after ovulation and resolving shortly after the onset of menstruation. To meet the diagnostic criteria for PMDD, a patient must have at least five of the symptoms listed in the diagnostic algorithm, and we'll cover that in a minute. These have to be present in the week before menses, and these symptoms must improve within a few days after the onset of menstruation. Prospective questionnaires are the most effective way to diagnose PMS and PMDD because patients greatly overestimate the cyclical nature of symptoms when in fact they may be erratic or simply exacerbated during their luteal phase but present all the time. The Daily Record of Symptoms of Problems, called DRSP, is a valid and reliable tool that can be used to diagnose PMS or PMDD, and that table can be found online. Again, that's the Daily Record of Symptoms of Problems, or the DRSP. It is a daily log of symptoms that correlate with the diagnostic criteria for PMS and PMDD. Patients rate their symptoms through at least two menstrual cycles, which requires a significant investment of time and effort. Administration the DRSP on the first day of menses may be an acceptable way to screen for premenstrual disorders. A cutoff value of 50 provides a positive predictive value of 63% and a negative predictive value of 90%. All right, let's get into the diagnostic criteria for premenstrual syndrome. PMS can be diagnosed if the patient reports at least one of the following affective and somatic symptoms during the five days before menses in each of two or three previous menstrual cycles. For the effective symptoms, those can be angry outbursts, anxiety, confusion, depression, irritability, or social withdrawal. For the somatic symptoms, one of those can include abdominal bloating, breast tenderness, or breast swelling, headaches, joint or muscle pain, swelling of extremities, and weight gain. All right, now the diagnosis of PMDD is a little bit more involved. In the majority of menstrual cycles, at least five symptoms must be present in the final week before the onset of menses. They must start to improve within a few days after the onset of menses and become minimal or absent in the week post Now, here are the criteria. One or more of the following symptoms must be present. Marked affective liability like mood swings or feeling suddenly sad or tearful. There must be marked irritability or anger or increased interpersonal conflicts. Also, marked depressed mood is a hallmark of this. In addition, marked anxiety, tension, and or feelings of being keyed up or on the edge. Next, one or more of the following symptoms must additionally be present to reach a total of five symptoms when combined with those just discussed. These symptoms include decreased interest in usual activities, subjective difficulty in concentration, lethargy or marked fatigue, marked change in appetite or overeating or food cravings, hypersomnia or insomnia. A sense of being overwhelmed or being out of control or symptoms that are physical like breast tenderness, swelling, joint or muscle pain or a sensation of bloating or true weight gain. Now for PMDD, the symptoms are associated with clinically significant distress or interference with work, social, or the usual activities or relationships with others. The disturbances cannot be merely an exacerbation of symptoms of another disorder like major depressive disorder, panic disorder, or persistent depressive disorder like dysthymia. Now, these criteria should be confirmed, once again, by a prospective dated log of at least two symptomatic cycles. And again, we've just discussed that, that that is the DRSP. Okay, we've covered a lot of diagnostic information there. Next, let's get into treatment of these conditions. Treatment of PMS and PMDD focus, of course, on relieving physical and psychiatric symptoms. Many of the medications used treat the body's hormonal activity through suppression of ovulation, whereas others affect the concentration of neurotransmitters like serotonin, norepinephrine, or dopamine in the brain. A third group of complementary or alternative agents with varying mechanisms of action can also be used like calcium supplementation. Now, in the United States, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs, are approved for primary treatment. Now, although SSRIs are considered psychiatric medications, when used to treat premenstrual disorder, they improve physical and psychiatric symptoms in most patients. Now, patients should tailor therapy based on patient tolerance and response to each medication. Now, remember that SSRIs do have a known side effect of sexual dysfunction. According to the college, SSRIs are first-line treatments for severe symptoms of PMS and PMDD. These medications include sertraline, paroxetine, floxetine, citalopram, and escitalopram. And according to the Cochrane Review of 2013, which compared 31 randomized controlled trials, each of these five SSRIs were effective in relieving the psychiatric and some physical symptoms of PMS, although it's still slightly controversial if continuous or cyclic use, that means use only during the luteal phase, is best. Now on a side note, according to the Cochrane review, well, or Bupropion was not effective for symptom relief of PMS or PMDD. Now, SNRIs like serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors like venlafaxine have been used off-label to treat PMDD in women with predominantly psychological symptoms. The effect is achieved over a relatively short period of time, which is about three weeks, and it is sustained throughout the subsequent menstrual cycles. All right, now no conversation about therapy of PMS or PMDD will be complete without covering oral contraceptives. Studies have suggested that oral contraceptives provide some benefit when treating the physical and some psychiatric symptoms of PMS or PMDD. Researchers have analyzed four moderate quality trials of continuous oral contraceptive use in women who track their symptoms on the DRSP. Although results were somewhat inconsistent, an improvement in depressive and physical symptoms from about 30 to 60% was identified. A higher placebo response occurred in women with PMDD, which suggests that a greater improvement occurs in women with predominantly psychiatric placebo-responsive symptoms at baseline. A separate PMDD trial found that continuous treatment for over 100 days resulted in the most improvement in overall DRSP scores. A 2012 Cochrane review of oral contraceptives containing drospirinone evaluated five trials with close to 2,000 women. Now, high dropout rates were noted in all but one trial, but results showed that the drospirenone combination pill reduced impairments in productivity and social functioning in women with PMDD, but there was insufficient evidence of benefit for women with just mild PMS. Oral contraceptives with and without drospirenone seemed to be effective at relieving abdominal bloating, nostalgia, headache, weight gain, and swelling of extremities. Trials that extend beyond three months are needed for further analysis. All right, now let's wrap up this podcast quickly covering other medications, and then we'll wrap up with a quick summary of treatment guidelines and their level of evidence. Calcium supplementation has been evaluated as a treatment for PMS. Women with PMS and mood instability have been noted to have associated cyclic changes in their calcium levels, but the exact mechanism of action is unknown. A randomized controlled trial of 179 Tehran University students who met criteria for PMS without any other psychiatric diagnosis actually found a 50% reduction in in depression, appetite, and fatigue in those who received 500 milligrams of supplemental calcium twice a day for 3 months. Now this result was also demonstrated in a U.S. study of more than 400 women who supplemented with 1,200 milligrams of calcium carbonate daily. Vitamin D at a dosage of 80 milligrams per day has also been studied and recommended as treatment for primarily psychological symptoms of PMS, but these studies are small and more data is needed to recommend it as a first or even second line treatment. Guidelines from the International Society of Premenstrual Disorders addressed gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists as potential treatment of PMS and PMDD by the elimination of the luteal phase. Now, although these medications have been used since the 1980s and are effective, they are not practical for long-term use because of the increased cardiovascular and osteoporotic risks associated with any extended use. Long-term users often need hormone add-back therapy to counteract many of their hypoestrogenemic side effects, and this can cause a return of PMS symptoms. Lastly, there is some conflicting evidence that magnesium supplementation may be helpful for bloating symptoms, but once again, these studies and these trials are small and more data is necessary. Okay, so here are the key recommendations and their evidence rating. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors may be used as first-line treatment of severe symptoms of PMS and PMDD with the overall data evidence graded as letter A. Oral contraceptives can be effective for treatment of PMS and PMDD, and that evidence grading is also letter A. Calcium supplementation of 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams per day may improve some of the symptoms of PMS with an overall evidence rating of letter B. Lastly, cognitive behavior therapy may improve PMS and BMDD symptoms, and the overall evidence rating is also letter B. Well, that wraps up our quick diagnosis covering PMS and the more severe premenstrual dysphoric disorder. We'll see you next time. Thank you.